to start thinking about living on another planet. There's so many issues in this city. Social or public. Or, or how people engage with each other. We're all incredibly time poor. We're all incredibly connected. Create a better built environment. To create the world's best places, places people love. The Hassle Talks. This is Hassle Talks. The Hassle Talks. Hi, you're listening to Hassle Talks. I'm Andrew Lowe. I'm an architect particularly interested in the way we can help our clients better connect their people to their organisational culture through spatial design. I'm really interested in shaping better spaces that connect emotionally with their users. But I'm not a behavioural psychologist and I'm not an advertising brand or marketing guru. But Adam Ferrier is. Self-proclaimed. Adam is one of Australia's leading consumer psychologists. He's a brand strategist and an authority on behavioural economics. He's the founder of creative consultancy agency Thinkabell, who looked to create measured magic by mixing scientific inquiry and hardcore creativity. I've known Adam since I was a kid. We met way back in 1977 at a great little primary school that was a melting pot of kids from various pre-gentrification backgrounds, a suburb with an SAS barracks, a refugee accommodation complex, and amazing beaches that were always going to attract an interesting, eclectic mix of people. What a beautiful description of, um, of Swanee. It's <laughs> unreal. That beach you're talking about we grew up near was a nude beach, wasn't it? And uh, that was always really fascinating, being a little kid near a nude beach. I don't think it was the only reason we went to the beach, but... <laughs> <laughs> Tell me about your mix of interests and how they coalesced around brand thinking. Uh, I was always interested in brands and people. I also used to play the share market a lot at school. Um, in senior school, there was only one landline. I used to, all lunchtime, I used to trade shares on the landline. And then at the end of lunchtime, I used to hang up and go back to class. So commercial culture, money, brands was my thing, but I was also always been fascinated by people. So I put those two interests together to become a consumer psychologist. So I studied psychology and commerce, did my thesis on identifying the underlying constructs of cool people, what makes people cool, and then kind of got into advertising, but always been about kind of blending brand, marketing, and consumer insight. Um, but I always wanted to get into consumer psychology and marketing. After, after working in the prison system for a while, I became a cool hunter, travelled around the world identifying cool trends and reporting back on those for people like Pepsi and Levi's. And then as I got a bit older and that became a bit more embarrassing to talk about, I um, just got into kind of advertising, consultancy, brand building and now started Thinkabell a few years ago. So in the pursuit of, of cool, isn't that just another way of sort of looking for trends and how you could articulate the value in being able to pursue a trend? I just I keep coming back to this local cafe of mine and he found out what I did and he said, oh, you have to tell me, you have to tell me, you have to tell me what the answer is because people pay for cool, people pay for cool. And I know what he was saying was that just as long as he can, you know, make people feel really good and feel like they're part of the kind of the culture and so forth, then he can just double the price and his scrambled eggs. And, um, and his margin goes yeah. up and his costs stay the same. That's right, that's right, and that's what it's about. If you um, design a cool hotel... Who tell? How do you know that hotel's cool? So the only way you know that hotel's cool is if cool people are going across the foyer. And just because I know you're dying to ask, the five factors that make somebody cool are self-belief and confidence, divine convention, understated achievement, caring for others, and connectivity. And so we've got a cool test you can do to find out how cool you are. But if you if you're interested, Andy, everyone uh, at Hassel will be interested. I don't dare take it. <laughs> but um, it's, it is kind of fascinating because it's it's an avenue to brand growth and it's an avenue to getting value out of out of a product. You know, like if you go to a cool cafe versus an uncool one, you're going to be paying double for the 
for the products just because you're eating in a cool place. So designers look to use space to express an organisation's brand and experience design looks to make brands live. We've talked previously about how you and your team use storytelling to help brands connect with consumers and their audience. Tell me how you look to find the right story in any given circumstance. That's a great question. Um, I look to what's true. In marketing, there's a whole lot of stuff about being customer obsessed and listening to the consumer and building a consumer insight. And I think all of that stuff and that rhetoric is noise. And I think often the answer is just looking about something that's true about the product or true about the the organisation that you're trying to build a brand behind and then finding a story from that. So do you spend the majority of your time trying to find the right story and do you worry about that or is it once you've found the story, it's in the way that you tell the story? We spend a lot of time trying to find out what we think is a story that's got the most legs, what can tell the most little sub-stories or narratives or anecdotes off that one thing. So that one story is what we would call a platform idea and then every single other little narrative needs to feed off that one single idea. And so we spend a lot of time trying to find an idea that's true enough and ownable enough to that brand but has enough um, foundation to tell lots and lots of anecdotes off. So in some ways it's a bit like finding a spine that you can build something around but remain true to its core. Yeah, and the other term we'd call for that is like a central organising thought for a brand. And then we see see that central organising thought or that platform idea running right through what the organisation does. So not just the advertising, not just the communications, but organisationally, how does that business feel? And we would say that also goes right into the space or the the, the cars that people drive, the uniforms they wear, how the call centres speak to people. And very rarely have we actually thought about it as a physical space except for retail clients. But even a physical space is part of that as well. Like you look at what places like Google are doing to their kind of central offices and they're kind of getting brand and I think I think it's interesting that I think brand led thinking is becoming more and more into architecture and physical space design than it's ever been before. Yeah so we're interested in the way that those ideas might coalesce how can we utilize storytelling better in spatial design because as you were saying previously that's the only mechanism you've got in lots of ways you've got multiple media platforms that you might deliver something on but it is all about the story Whereas we've got the ability to craft and shape space that people occupy. But do you think sometimes we forget about the storytelling yeah. when we're shaping space? Yeah, I think that's exactly right. I think because our business is storytelling and we get given, um, let's say we're given a shampoo product and then we have to be able to tell a story or a narrative around that, you guys have got it much easier that you can actually physically design the thing that you're then going to tell stories about. And so maybe because you're because you're in the world of designing the actual stuff, you don't even necessarily need to worry about the story as much because the building or whatever it is that you're designing is doing the talking for you, whereas we'll say it's the talking that does the heavy lifting. That's where the value is. We talk a lot about perceived value versus real value in marketing, and perceived value is what uh, people are prepared to pay for. And when you can create perceived value, it costs you less in goods and, and actually making things, but that's where... That's what people, consumers are willing to pay for. So you can extract higher margin from any unit if there's more perceived value in it. Yeah. So when you design a really cool building and for whatever reason it's just really cool, you know, you'll be able to charge more for that building or the rents will be higher or whatever just because it's got a bit of cachet to it. So when you design 
a building, do you have a central organising idea? Usually, yes. That's the, the basis of the way the process works. But we do always end up with a degree of tension between what is on one hand a highly pragmatic strategy that you need to do and you need to get right, and then a, a fairly creative or beer idea that's going to help create and shape an identity for the users that use it. And then in between that spectrum, there's obviously building in all the other attributes. Because the more you ask people what they want, the more practical and rational the answers are, but that's not necessarily what's necess- what they really want, what's really best for people. That's right. And across a pragmatic spectrum, there's a range of things that you need to manage, but that won't necessarily create a volume or a spatial experience that's ideally suited to whatever the client's aspirations are. And it's so nuanced. It's really interesting how nuanced it is. And then you get back down to words like, if you ever hear yourself saying, trust me, you know you're screwed because... You know, nobody should trust anybody with something that that, that valuable and with these kind of dollars involved. But trying to, uh, and that's why marketing sciences has been so important in our industry and behavioural economics, because it gives us a language to describe human decision making that that our industry hasn't had before. So we're able to talk about the value of an emotional connection versus irrational persuasion. We're able to quantify that through. Um, you know, various findings and various studies that have been done. And that gives um, our clients confidence in, you know, one type of marketing over another, for example. So that, that, that balance between the rational and the emotional, yeah. how much does that, does that come in? When, when, when does that come into your work? Is it, it in the conversations into- with your clients or is it in the conversation during your design process? Mainly, well, both. Um, so what we know in marketing is that emotional connections and emotionally based advertising is much more effective than rational based advertising most of the time. The exception to that is when a new product is creating a new category and it has to convince people about what the actual thing is. But if you're an insurer, say, or if you're a financial institution, a well-established category, then what they're trying to do is create an emotional connection and um, and all of the kind of most effective kind of campaigns the, the vast majority of those are emotionally based and there's a kind of a pool of um, research and studies that have kind of supported that and so you'll see advertising that's kind of really warm and emotional that doesn't have that much to do with whatever it is that's being sold at the time but it's linking that kind of warm emotional feeling with a particular brand and then that is proving to be more effective time and time again than the equivalent ad talking about if it's say financial services get you know a three percent interest rate or faster easier banking or whatever that rational message might be so no different to our free state team that says people won't remember what you told them they'll remember how you made them feel how you make them feel totally it's exactly the same we've got lots of supporting evidence to substantiate that and then when we show our clients emotionally based communications we can refer to the research that says that's more effective but maybe the world of architecture uh, needs to create its own more of its own pool of knowledge about the fact that if um, you're creating a building that makes people feel good, uh, then there's much more value in that and you should be working, and I'm sure you do work hard to quantify the value of people feeling good. We talk quite a lot about an idea of habituation, that you take an organisation into a new building and a new workplace in a new precinct in a city, and particularly if they've come from pretty ordinary spaces, 
there's always this fantastic uplift because they're into a space that's new and they feel like they're valued and cared for. But over time, that impact diminishes. Tell me about how important it is for brands to stay fresh or to renew their message or is it more important for them just to repeat a message over a consistent period of time? Now, there's two contradictory answers to that. The first one is that marketing is very good at making the familiar feel new and the new feel familiar. That's its kind of job. They're the jobs that it needs to do all the time. Um, then the second thing it needs to do is be really, really consistent. So humans don't like to think. Um, we're, we're hardwired to think as little as possible. Um, and so if you show consumers their favourite brand, their brain under MRI scans, their brain doesn't light up that much. Show them a new brand and their brain lights up a lot because there's a lot of processing that needs to be done. If you have to work hard to process something to work out what it stands for or whatever, you're not going to buy it. You're just going to avoid it because it's too much hard work. So we need to make it feel really, really easy to buy and that's why it relies so much on consistency. So a brand is a promise kept consistently over time. I promise this, I deliver it, promise this, deliver it, promise this, deliver it. Therefore, when I'm shopping, I know what I want. I don't have to think too hard. I know you're going to deliver and I buy it. The second bit of your question is, though, is how to keep that kind of fresh all the time. And so that's why I guess new news or kind of giving spikes of interesting activity are important. But the consistency is far more important than the kind of the new news to kind of keep the spikes clean. Like people will like consistency rather than necessarily like change. So maybe that do you think that's connected to an idea of having a consistent spine and space could learn from that between because it our best spaces are an accurate reflection of the organizations that they're hosting. Mm -hmm. And um, people can tell straight away when that works. And sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes there's a bit of a jar between what our clients say they want and who potentially we think they might be. Um, but maybe there's ways that you know, that's why we um, engage with free state and experience design to actually allow spaces to host multiple functions and do it potentially in a surprising way, but try and keep a consistent spine. Yeah, I think we're articulating the same kind of thing. We would have a platform idea that lasts for years and years and years, but would have to tell lots of different anecdotes within that same consistent spine or that same platform idea over time. Brand theory has like a hundred years of, of knowledge that's built up where some of this has been sliced fairly scientifically. And a lot of this, the ability to measure emotionally how space connects with people, there's not a huge amount of information. So we're interested in actually seeing what we can learn from brand theory and allowing spaces to potentially take advantage of that. Yeah, I think that sounds like a, it sounds like a really interesting thing to do. Yeah, and, and shaping journeys, if you think about the way that well-designed spaces can help shape and highlight an emotional experience. So I remember going in the lift of the QT Hotel in Sydney and when I got into the lift, you know, it played, I was on my own and it played some song about being sad and lonely and then when two people get in the lift, it plays the song Islands in the Stream. When three people get in the lift, it plays the song about a crowd and that all happens, you know, automatically. But the value of that, how to, how to quantify the value of that that lift and that everyone talks about that that particular lift is really interesting as well adam that's been fantastic thanks for your time no problem it's great to be doing this with you it's, it's great fun i'm andrew lowe this is hassle talks 